And welcome to another episode of Digesting Cinema with Aaron and Christina. Today we are starting our 11-episode special titled Digesting the Force, where we will be talking about the Star Wars saga as I watch each movie for the very first time. Each episode will discuss that movie as a first-time watch with no knowledge of the movies released after it. We decided to watch in release order and start with the original trilogy. So today we will be discussing... A new hope. As always, I am joined by my host, Aaron. So Aaron, how are you today? I'm great. First of all, what an introduction. Just serene, incredible, such an improvement from the standard and welcome. Uh, just say that, but I'm thrilled to be here. I am so excited. I am DTF. <laughs> Digesting the Force. Right. Aaron and I could not go on this journey alone. So we have invited Star Wars experts and super fans to join us throughout this special event. And today we are starting off with everyone's favorite fan league IG champion from across the pond, Joe Farrelly. Joe, how are you today? I'm doing very well. I'm really glad you asked me to come on here. You, uh, Unfortunately, when you invited me, my favorite Star Wars movie had already been taken, but this is definitely up there. Yeah, there was, there was a few that everybody wanted to be on and a few that no one has really wanted to be on. So I guess I'll figure out what all that is about when we get to it before we jump into our conversation our synopsis joe why do you love star wars what is your favorite thing about it it's just something that's always sort of been there for me i mean my love for star wars sort of started it stemmed from another great love of mine i don't know if you guys had the same thing watching old videotapes that were recorded off the tv oh, yeah. but that's what i did and i used to watch the spy who loved me a lot and one day I left it running. I was playing with toys. I must have been about six or seven. I was left the film running, playing with toys. And all of a sudden I look up and I, could, I saw the words a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away on the screen. I was like, what's this? And I got hit and I sat and watched the entirety of Return of the Jedi. It was the first Star Wars movie I'd ever seen. <laughs> That, that was, was about 1996, 1995, 1996, and then couldn't get hold of the other ones. And then 1997, the special editions came out, and I went to see this movie, Star Wars A New Hope. And at that point, it was the right age, because it was two years before the prequels came out, and the toys were being re-released. And obviously, my friends had the toys, and then I had the toys. And it was just something that my friends and I bonded over, and it's just been a love since then. Oh, that's awesome. That's actually a really <laughs> nice answer. <laughs> All right. So before we jump into our discussion, just a quick overview of of A New Hope. This was released in 1977. It was written and directed by George Lucas. And of course, as always, we have our synopsis from our very trusted IMDb. Luke Skywalker joins forces with a Jedi Knight, a cocky pilot, and a Wookiee, and two droids to save the galaxy from the Empire's world-destroying battle station, while also attempting to rescue Princess Leia from the mysterious Death Star. Oh, the mysterious Darth Vader. That's you. But the Death Star is also mysterious. It's I think that's a actually movie. pretty good summary of what this movie was about because sometimes it's like not what the movie is about at all. Yeah, I think it's a pretty very simple story uh, this first this first part of the saga and I think the simplicity the familiarity yet how unfamiliar it was especially for the time or the first time you're seeing it. Yeah, I think is what one of the things that makes it kind of timeless here is that it is just such a familiar story done in such an unfamiliar way. Not the most complicated, you know, first especially they get more complicated as they go so don't worry i can't wait for the the synopsis for a few of these prequels like I'm, it's gonna be like six paragraphs it's gonna be like and then like there's a senate vote and then there was like but i won't spoil any more of that but yeah I loved revisiting this too. It's really interesting to be like kind of the middle between Christina here, who's never seen him, and then Joe here, who's seen him more times than he probably would care to admit. But I'm like a middle. I'm like a fan, but not a super fan. So I'm interested to see what this journey does. I'm not sure if I've even seen all the movies too. So, but I definitely New Hope is one of my favorites. So I was excited to revisit this for the first time in a long time. 
far, far away. Now, does every Star Wars movie open up with like the words in the beginning? Every single one? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Like, is, is that like an important part? Because I felt like I was like, I don't really always like to start off movies by like reading. <laughs> like, <I just> feel <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, great. It's like the playbill when you go to like to go to Broadway where I'm like, all right, I have to read stuff to like figure out what's going on. So I was like, all right, you got to pay attention immediately. And the words kind of go a little fast. I'm a slow reader. So I was panicked a little bit. And I was like, oh, dear God, because Anthony was like, you got to focus, Christine, you got to pay attention to this. This is important stuff. Like it starts immediately. And I was like, oh, God, what if I can't get into this? What if I can't read fast enough and then I'm totally lost and I have no idea what's happening. But it's all right. I, I handled it, guys. I read perfectly paced and I understood what was happening in what is the what is it? The scroll? That's just what they call it. They call it the crawl. The what? The crawl. The crawl. The crawl. Oh. The crawl. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm just gonna call it the words that float up the, the screen. The yellow letters. You know, the <laughs> yeah. yellow words. That's such an iconic way to start. And like I know I've taken it for granted at this point because it's just so, Everybody who knows about Star Wars thinks about the uh, words, so, but it was just such a smart way to quickly get people kind of set up with information that's kind of important, but not that important, but more important to like get you connected into the story quickly and be able to identify it. I think it was a really smart decision by George Lucas, who makes less smart decisions as this goes on, include, including which we have to preface. You watched this on Disney Plus, Christina? I did. So I did see the... Yeah. So you, you saw know, the horrible the CGI. Yeah. That was added for whatever reason. And Greedo is... Christina has only seen the McClunky edition. Yes. only You've only seen when Greedo says McClunky. Which, (laughs) I mean, the things that Lucas decided to add, just, I don't know why. We had an experience with Blade Runner where we saw a director do like nine versions of that and add things and take things away. And it's just kind of what these guys do. They get so lost in their own production that they think they can like, oh, now the technology is where I need it to add these chess pieces that are hitting each other for some reason instead of the physical chess. Like (laughs) all of the CGI that's added is terrible. All of it. It looks out of place too. And I feel like that's one of the things I love about older movies is that it's not CGI. Like yeah. that's why Jurassic Park is phenomenal and will always be better than Jurassic World because it just looks more real. And you'll notice like now, like a lot of these newer movies will like be like, we use practical effects. Like it's just this like weird cycle of entertainment where it's like we're using, we're going back to 70 millimeter film and we're using practical effects. And those are the things like where people are like, yes, we, we like this. Like you can actually see the environments and things in this movie. And then Jabba the Hutt shows up. Right. It's weird that we like when things look real when you watch the movie. It's, I know, crazy. All right, so the movie opens up and Princess Leia is talking or wherever she is is under attack because I don't remember. I, there's a lot of places said in this movie. The only thing I think I remember is Alderaan and the Death yeah. Star. Yeah, no, no one's tuning into this podcast for specific Star yeah. Wars terminology or nomenclature. So wherever <laughs> Princess Leia is, is now under the attack. And like the stormtroopers come in, and I go, I'm like, are those bad guys? And Anthony's like, Mommy, he's like, you know nothing. I was like, I know nothing. So like, who am I rooting for here? Because I always felt like the stormtroopers were good because they like wore white. So like they were the people that were attacking Darth Vader. And Darth Vader was like trying to just like kind of look like them with the helmet thing. Oh my God. So I like literally didn't know anything. And then like we see like C3PO and R- R2D2, and I got them confused. And I was like, oh, is that one C-3PO? And Anthony was like, yeah. And I was like, I don't think, I didn't specific. I was like, so the robot or like the gold guy? Because... I thought the little robot was. And he's like, oh, dear Lord. This so like, I'm, I tell you guys I'm going into this, like, I don't know anything. Like, I'm totally blind to it all. So I'm like yeah. soaking it all in as I'm yeah. watching 
to go down. I mean, this is a definitely it's good that we started with the, the original here. They make it very clear who the bad guys are and the good guys. Uh, juxtaposition throughout the movie, it's kind of one of the keys with Star Wars. You got the bad guys who are in black, the good guys who are bright and white light side dark side i mean it's kind of all there throughout so you should have been able to figure out pretty quickly the guy who was choking people with without touching them probably not a great guy <laughs> but, yeah I mean, and james earl jones i mean he's just so iconic darth vader mufasa bell atlantic commercials i mean it doesn't get much better than <laughs> than his voice <laughs> when he talks and then i was like well does darth vader ever take his helmet off like do we ever see him you'll see See, these are all things I need to know. And this is maybe we should have a spoiler podcast. Tell me everything. Who lives, who dies, what's everything else that's happening in the movies? I'm not gonna be able to handle this over 11 weeks. Like I need to know everything now. There's just so many revelations based on this first little opening of how little you know that are gonna kind of blow your mind as you go through this series <laughs> in such a quick, I mean, people who went through this the natural way went through it over 40 years, what you're about to go through in like 11 weeks. Like, and just the amount of revelations and that you have no idea are even coming and how many of them don't work and do work. It's going to, it's going to be a fascinating, fascinating little experience here. So strap in everybody. All right. I'm going to move over to Luke Skywalker being pretty dreamy. I'm not, you know, I always have to like comment over how the actors look. <laughs> and I was like, I'm a little into Mark Hamill. And I don't know really anything about Mark Hamill, except that he officiated Sheldon and Amy's wedding in the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> so that's like my experience with him. And I was like, he had like the cute little hair going and he just seemed like such a sweetheart. Like, I feel like I'm so used to watching superhero movies where it's like, I'm righteous and I have these powers so like I can help people. And he was just like this genuine one good guy that's like i'm just trying to help take down the empire guys like gee golly whiz like let me just help out with everybody and i was just like what a genuinely like nice person that just is trying to help and just wants to free this girl that he thinks is pretty and you know take down the empire that just annihilated his family and he was just like he also didn't like seem super bummed about that can we like talk about that that he did not seem super bummed like i felt like there should have been more of a moment where he saw his like burned up corpses of his aunt and uncle and was just like all right cool i'm gonna like go fight bad guys now now nobody we oh are you being quiet because there's more to this um what go ahead Joe. certainly in this movie it's not exactly addressed it's a sort of a look away and a sigh and then it's hey i wanted to go fight i can go fight now he wanted to leave this place for a while he wanted to leave home he had this desire to be more than just a farm boy working on an aqua tech farm or whatever type of farm it was it was something really weird and futuristic but it's it's, it's just moisture moisture just he just moisture farm just a moisture um, I, I, I imagine it's something to do with the fact that it's just desert there and it's like well, we need to get water somehow so we're gonna farm it i think maybe a little bit of that was in the direction of george lucas i think like he was looking kind of sad but yeah i definitely he didn't drop to his knees and like clutch his fists and be like vader like right. maybe speaks a little to his motivation that he's more sad when he learns he can't go out and fight than when he finds out his aunt and uncle are dead because yeah, that's the big moment the swelling music and looking out on the suns and going one day i'll get out there and then it's like huh guess i can yeah it, it, maybe there's a little bit of darkness that we'll learn about as we go on maybe possibly. not quite possibly we'll see oh you guys are killing me here <laughs> all right so and then obviously i i do know the biggest like twist of all time of star wars about darth vader's relationship to luke but as of right now luke believes his father is dead 
And Luke believes that Darth Vader is the one that killed him. And we learn this when we meet Obi-Wan Kenobi. Great Alec Guinness. Yeah, like the most fun name to ever say. Like, I was just walking around the house going like, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Like, that's how we we should say it, because it's just funny to say it that way. Yeah, old Ben. So the way that we get to Obi-Wan is that R2 had a message with Princess Leia on it. Princess Leia had put a message into her droid before she shipped them off away from Darth Vader with battle plans, I believe in it, for the Death Star, for the Rebels. Then this got into the hands of Luke. Luke was going to get some droids. He picked up like two droids, one that looked like R2, but wasn't R2. And like R2 wanted to go with them and he was all sad and then like shut down. And then the other one just like explodes. I do wonder if we'll ever find out how they got those battle plans. Yeah, we'll have to see. It'll be interesting. That would make for a really good movie. Hmm. One, you know, Star Wars story, perhaps, that we'll find out more about, perhaps. But this is how we get R2 and C-3PO. R2 and C-3PO are such a necessary part of this first movie, especially all the movies, all all the characters. But really in this first one, R2 and C-3PO, they provide that levity and comedy as well as exposition when you need it without any of it being kind of annoying or hammered over the head just. And then at times where you're supposed to be in the mystery, C-3PO will just go like, oh, that's on my programming. I don't know it. And that's like the message to the audience that you don't need to know this right now. Like, (laughs) Be confused with them. Like if you are to understand it, C-3PO will explain it or the world will. So I just love their dynamic. For the things that are said about George Lucas's handling of dialogue and things like that. I think his use, his exposition in this movie alone, I think he handles it very, very well. Mm-hmm. The way the story is explained, the way that it feels natural. And I think one thing he did amazingly well, I mean, a lot of these older sci-fi movies, things like Flash Gordon, they all have their own worlds. But when you look at A New Hope specifically, there it looks so lived in and so there is a whole history behind. And you, we know it now from all this expanded stuff that everything has a history. Everybody has, an in his mind, everyone has a name, even if it's not said on screen and everything has a history but even just watching it and not knowing that you still feel that and i think that's an incredible thing just about the production design everything all the design the story work he's yeah i agree i really agree and we'll get back into the synopsis in a second but yeah the production design you see certain vehicles or ships that are never even looked at or explored but it adds it shows Mm -hmm. that there's things in this universe that it just adds to the the world it really feels like this is a lived-in world and it just doesn't feel like it you're just plopped into this random kind of group of characters who are going to be the only focus of the entire universe it's it's a small focus on a bigger world and i just think that the exposition from the crawl to the droids talking yeah it's just all right on point and the production design the sound design also is just amazing the score let's go ahead and mention john williams for the first of many times on this podcast re-listening to the score was incredible to me because this first movie it's so different subtly different i guess but it's a little less formed than the next two movies especially like you could see john williams was still like forming his style Mm -hmm. for star wars coming off of jaws by the way so it's just like John Williams, legend of all legends for a reason. Yeah, I feel like the score, and this is where I'm going to probably get yelled at, was a little repetitive. Mm -hmm. No, I get what you're saying. He hadn't expanded on it yet. I think that's a good point. Yeah, I just was like, oh, okay. Like, it's iconic. Obviously, we know it. But I was like, it was like used for everything. I kind of thought maybe it would have changed up a little bit. But back to the production design, a few of the things, a few of the places they were filmed on location. Because when we start the movie and they're getting like attacked by the sand people, I was like, I wonder where this is. Like, I wonder if 
this was on set. I believe we looked it up and it was filmed in Death Valley. So I think mm. that adds to it of like having a history and looking like it's been lived in because there are real places. Again, like we're so used to CGI background or it's like you just built this random thing that was on set. So it's not real rocks. It's not real sand. It's not real earth. So I think that adds to it as well where you're filming things in real places. Yeah. Any characters we want to talk about? Because we haven't mentioned my boy Harrison Ford who did a much better job in this movie <laughs> than he did in Blade Runner because dear God, I had very low expectations watching this movie after what that man did to me in Blade Runner. Harrison Ford is great in this movie. He just feels like he just inhabits that character. Just from the first introduction, the way you just playing it cool, having the negotiations for the cost of the flight, just the way he interacts with Luke compared to, to Obi-Wan. And you can, and again, that the thing with Chewbacca, Chewie, you know that there is a history there just from the way he interacts with a man in a costume that can probably emote very little in that costume. But it Peter feels Mayhew like it, was a if, Peter Mayhew. What a legend, too, playing yeah. Chewbacca. Speaking yeah. of which, if you've not heard any of the YouTube videos of Peter Mayhew saying the lines that Chewbacca is supposed to be saying, it's I need great. To, no, I haven't he's going arg all the time. No, he's saying what the. Arg's actually mean. <laughs> oh, because I found Chewbacca to be pretty annoying. Honestly, I was not a fan. Mm, boy, this may change my opinion on which of the Star Wars movies is going to be your favorite. If this is how you feel, about I it. just yeah. felt like there were times where it was like he was a little obnoxious and would just like yell out of nowhere. And I did appreciate that the Princess Leia kind of put him in his place. Like this is not like great. Now you just yelled and like now people are gonna know where we are. Like thanks for that. <laughs> No, like, girl, I felt that. Like, that's exactly how I would have handled that situation. Like, one, I'm saving your asses because you guys are idiots. And two, like, seriously, bro, you had to yell right this second. <laughs> it's just nervous. Yeah. Uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I loved Han though to talk, just finish up on Harrison Ford. Uh, I just like all of the characters play their necessary role, uh, especially in this first movie. Like it's just, and he's the skeptic. He's the one who doesn't buy the force, believes it's a bunch of superstition, like thinks like Luke doing the right thing is a waste of time. Just a really important part, but everybody does. And I was saying this a little bit beforehand, but rewatching this movie, I can't make theories because I've seen most of the Star Wars movies. <laughs> so that would be cheating. But I definitely feel this is just like this gave me like a big time Wizard of Oz in space, like feel to the group of them almost like you could almost be like, here's, you know, the scarecrow and here's the like, and Dorothy is obviously Luke in this. So it's like a little shifted. But yeah, just everybody has their role. I think everybody was really well casted from Al Guinness as Obi-Wan. I wish he would have been a little more curmudgeon as Obi-Wan, <laughs> if I'm being honest, because they're like, he's grouchy old Ben. Like, he was kind of just like a very elegant, sweet, well-spoken man who really seemed quite noble also. Like, I don't he, think he people were like, yeah. yeah, like he didn't even have like, a, his beard was so well-kept. Like, he wasn't <laughs> even scruffy. Like, he was just like a wonderful, bearded, godlike man. <laughs> like, I don't know how else to describe Right, I have a Go question, ahead. which I don't know if you can answer because I'm trying not to do a lot of research in this because I don't want to accidentally spoil things for myself. Smart. Was this always planned the, to be a trilogy, these three movies? Depends on who you ask. Yeah, um, it definitely depends on who you ask. Okay. It, 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 according to George Lucas, this is always the plan, even though when this first came out, it did not have New Hope. It was called Star Wars only. It was not episode four. That was added, I don't know when, but it was added later, which again, even at 
at that point when he added episode four, it was a complete pipe dream that eventually he'd be able to get to make the prequels. It was just like, I think, I mean, George Lucas is just a incredible egomaniac with a great <laughs> creative streak in him. And I just think like for him, oh yeah, this is all, all we, we planned all of this. We planned the right. failures. We it, planned the it was weird to watch now knowing that there was more to it because it felt like it was a complete movie. I felt like the plot got wrapped up, but then I also felt like there were parts of an origin story that didn't quite get addressed, which I was like for this to then be in essentially a saga in a trilogy, which then get, continues. I felt like, especially like Obi-Wan's relationship with Luke, like training him to use the force was mm -hmm. like not very long. In my opinion, I kind of was like expecting maybe more of like, you know, like a montage or like <laughs> a situation where like there's more training to it. And then Anthony reminded me that there definitely was one character that we have not been introduced to that I obviously know exists yep. in, in the little green man. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll so get to him like, soon. Don't worry. Yeah, I was like, so uh, I'm not going to say anything else, but I do think this is an interesting question to bring up. And I do think that as much as I make fun of George Lucas and I will continue to like, I do think this was a plan. I mean, there's even the conversation with his aunt and uncle when he's asking about his father says his father died in the war. And one, maybe he's talking to Obi-Wan at this point says his father died in the war and Vader was his former disciple and Vader killed him. And it's like, they cut people are like, Oh, it makes you think it's two people, but it's like a poetic Vader killed his father. Mm. Like, you know, right. and it's just like, it's one of these where it's like the opposite of the scream twist. There's not two, it's one, it's not two, it's <laughs> one. So like, I do think like, while it's a little bit of revisionist history to open up the, all these sequels and prequels and everything, I think that it was part of the design of George Lucas's world is he's like, we're dropping into this world. Everybody has an origin story. So it's like, yeah, like talk about it, but also it's not set in stone. It's interesting to view as the first of 11 movies in a saga. Yeah. It's crazy how well it works for how contained it was as a story, in my opinion. All right. Well, I guess we have to talk about our girl in a little bit more detail because she was pretty badass in my personal opinion. And I was into her. I was into her confidence. I was into her attitude. I just liked the way she carried herself. Her hair. Her hair I did not like. I know it's iconic, but I was like, it's really weird. It's just an odd situation. And then like at the very end with like that weird braid thing, I was like, who is doing this? Who are, who's making these choices? These are not good life choices. And again, I know it's iconic and I'm going to get chastised, but like this was not a good look. And we really should have redesigned this look or committing to this. Yeah. Joe, what did you think about Miss Carrie Fisher, especially she, in the first movie? She is phenomenal. And it's not really until you get her first interaction with, Tarkin, played by the great Peter Cushing, that you realise just how badass of a character she is. Because well, I know she takes out that stormtrooper at the very beginning, but she's taken out pretty quickly after that. And you have the message of help me. And it really could have gone down your basic standard damsel in distress movie. Yeah. And even after she has that encounter with Tarkin, you think it could still got done the same way sort of Marion Ravenwood does in Raiders of the Lost Ark, is that she's badass at the start. And then for the rest of the movie, she's really just being captured all the time. But with this, she has that moment. And then Luke and Han come to to rescue her and she's still busting balls and she's like oh so you didn't have a plan to get out right i'll do it then <laughs> like so how are we doing this oh we don't really know it's it's not really us it's obi-wan he's sort of behind everything he's like look give me the gun i'll do it follow me you guys know nothing i'm the best follow yeah. me but she carries herself in just such a way that it's yeah i've done this before come with me and you still love her because she's 
just incredible. Yeah, 100% agree. Carrie Fisher, a legend for a reason. And yeah, this it's such a powerful character. And her evolution throughout the movies is fascinating. I think I think Luke's arc gets focused on a lot, but Leia's arc is, I think, maybe more impressive. And I'm going to be interested to focus on that on this mm. rewatch, especially because it's just, she doesn't really start from a point where she needs to really progress, but she continues to somehow not plateau and like come better and better. And you'll see as we go on. So I'm excited for that. And Tarkin also, it was interesting in this first movie, especially Tarkin is like the main bad guy to me. Like he's kind of just mm. like, it almost is like Vader was his enforcer and like he's the general who decides to take out Alderaan. And then he like kind of just bails it as Vader's decision, but it really wasn't. It was Tarkin who was like, yeah, we need to test our weapons. And like the fact that like they decide to blow up a planet and it's like ready in like two seconds. They're like, all right, we're going to blow up this planet. And everybody's like, all right, let's get to our, get to our places start the laser boom i don't know why they didn't just keep blowing up planets that's definitely one of my biggest plot holes of this movie like uh, if you can blow up planets that quickly you should easily be able to take things over like they took one out like it seemed like they'd be pretty willing to keep taking yeah, out like, like for sports not even like they threatened them it was just like yeah we just don't need you here anymore bye <laughs> right so that's one of the few plot holes i really did pick up from the empire going against the rebels is like they don't have a problem taking out this planet what stopped them from all the other ones <laughs> but that would make for a much less interesting movie well, exactly. uh, and that is always one of my favorite answers when there's plot holes is makes the movie worse <laughs> like it's like if she just calls the police like not a very good movie <laughs> so uh back to you christina all right so here's the other one that i don't know if you guys can tell me is obi-wan really dead because i don't think he is that no, is like such a question and i don't know if it was just 1977 editing but when he is fighting darth vader it seemed to me that obi-wan did something to make himself disappear and then it looked like darth vader hit him with the lightsaber <laughs> and then he wasn't there anymore is kind of how i interpreted it that he like put himself into the force or transported himself somewhere I, and then you might be onto something there are certain so definitely the force has the force has a way of dealing with the afterlife and you'll see so we are to believe according to this movie is which is the only movie i've seen so far mm -hmm. that obi-wan is dead that's what we he are made a, yeah right he now. made a sacrifice there at the end which i don't exactly understand why especially just with this movie in a vacuum i don't know why he didn't just keep on fighting Darth Vader till like they're totally cleared out of there. Like it's like he should have just kept going for a little bit longer so that they could. Well, Do you have any opinions on that, Joe? Not... Without spoiling like, well, I mean... forward, like your opinions on it in the like moment here, but is this just his moment to make his ultimate sacrifice? I think it's not only just the ultimate sacrifice to save them. I think it's also to sort of show Luke a different way. I mean, Luke has always been interested in fighting, mm -hmm. and then to show that I'm going to do this for you. This might be my way of inspiring you. And of course, after that moment. Luke does of course hear his voice while attacking the Death Star yep. so maybe Christina is onto something that he maybe has put himself into the force somewhere yeah the force is strong in this one mm -hmm. the only Christina. force I know of is the speed force from Flash so. <laughs> this is very different uh, <laughs> this is very very different very um, different yeah but I think those are really great questions to keep in your mind the other thing that I definitely was looking at is I, looked, I was looking at a lot of the background characters characters that weren't the focus of 
particular scenes. And a lot of times, like, Obi-Wan was in the background kind of looking very confident. Like, when they got caught into the tractor beam, it felt like Obi-Wan was leading them to that moment so that they could get caught into the tractor beam so that Luke could begin his journey of discovering his, like, true identity and true purpose as a person. And, like, I just think he was... There was a look like he knew what was coming, which was his death from the beginning. He knew this was the last mission. And that's why he had to be hidden and kind of recluse until this came up. Like it was a, like a premonition almost. And I feel like he kind of had that feeling throughout and was like leading them to the right places and then played his role, lowering the tractor beam at the end once they got in there and then fighting Darth Vader. But like, I think he kind of knew this all was coming. At least my opinion. I agree. I can agree with that. He's out of all the characters. He definitely seems the most in control of what's going on in the movie. Of bearing in mind, these characters are thrust into this situation. It's all very spontaneous for them. He still seems like he has the grasp of everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. Nice. All right. I do want to talk about the droids though, because they're my favorite part of this movie. <laughs> like wholeheartedly, I laughed out loud a lot with uh, C-3PO and R2-D2. I just thought they were so funny. I think like in the beginning when like something scares R2 and he like falls over and he's like, Aah! like false forward literally like i laughed out loud like cackling like an insane person a lot of times c-3po would be like oh no like he just got like all worried and like when he thought that they died in the trash compactor and he's like i fell i love that scene that's my favorite that's my favorite scene from the first movie it always has been i love the trash compactor scene i think it is incredible like it's so gross and like all this like trash and like nasty water and it's just like you see the walls closing it's such a cool set piece and just like moment for them all to like come together and like jubilation for just a moment and like when they're all laughing together and hugging each other it's just like C-3PO is like oh my god they're dying like they're dying down there and like (laughs) I've killed them no no, we're not we're not we're happy like it's just I love that entire moment like he's just like it's all my fault like it's just like it's just you're not used to seeing robots who have such self-deprecation and doubt about themselves and it's so great I, I think it makes total sense that Christina you know loves these characters because they are the gateway into the movie they are the f- first pieces of dialogue they are the pretty much the only main characters you are following for the first 20-25 minutes of this movie it's their journey until they're bought by Luke Skywalker so absolutely totally makes sense that they would be the characters that you fall in love with first because they are they are our guide into the movie and the world that Luke has created Do what did you think about this scene, Christina? Did this scene stick out at all to you? The trash compactor scene? Yeah. Yeah, no, I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, and, and like I it was so gross. It. Like the water. I can still remember that water, like dirty. I like getting pulled under, and you're just like, oh, this is not a good time. And just that yeah, and then you see how worried out. you see how worried Han is. Han's like, no, no, like please. Like it's just like this bat, like the like all badasses, it's just a facade, and like underneath it is this like sweet scared little boy like worried to lose his new best friend like he, he's like no like no and not at one point is leia like ew it's wet it's gross my prison robe is like no she's like she's like the least scared of all of them down she's there like, Let's go here, freaking out chewie's yeah. like oh god like he's like well, we're all gonna die like right and so- i would assume like chewie's probably relatively strong but he did try yeah. to push the walls and it didn't work he and tried she's like, so oh, hard to put- yeah, like, yeah she 
she was the brains of the operation. We're like, you know, you two sissy boys, like lock it in. Like we need to like put something here to prevent the walls. And of course, like Han has to be like the a-hole to be like, oh my God, we had to go somewhere smelly. Like you couldn't. Yeah, like he's like the feminine one. Like it's just like, oh, such a great scene. And then the comedy of like, oh, we killed him. It's like, no, we're alive. And then after they escape, we we think Han is an a-hole because he takes the money and runs. And mm-hmm. we're like, all right, so he's not the hero we thought he was going to be. They go into the final battle. We have red leaders and gold leaders, and people are getting shot out of the sky. Some of that stuff was a little hard to follow sometimes because I was like, what do their airplane thingies or what are they are they called pods or whatever? Those are, that's what they are. They're wherever they're flying, their little jets c- kind of look like what the other people are flying. So I was like, I don't know who I'm rooting for here. So we got Pie what Fighters and X Wings, I think, in this first and one. And Y Wings. And Y Wings. So the Y Wings look like a Y. The X Wings look like an X. And the and Tie Fighters look like both sides. Yeah, there we go. So oh. that's you. Oh, see, I should have known that before because I was like, <laughs> there's just people flying everywhere. And then because they How good did the space flight look, though, in this it movie? Did look from right. 1977. I'm pretty positive if in Disney World, this was the Star Wars ride because I was like this looks very familiar to me and I have never seen a Star Wars movie and I'm like I'm 98% sure that there was a ride in Disney World and it was like a simulator ride and you were Luke Skywalker doing the final battle so I was like yeah. this looks familiar to me yeah, yeah. Um, that sounds about right. So I think I've experienced this battle already. So like, I think I knew how it was going to end because I had lived it back in 1999 in Disney World. But I was like, oh my God, everyone's dying. And then I was like, this is terrible. And I was like, Luke's going to save the day. And then lo and behold, Han comes back out of nowhere. And you're just like, you do love him. This is so <laughs> yeah. great. And you're like, you're, you don't suck. Like you're a decent person. <laughs> you're going to probably be a good character throughout the rest of this because you oh, kind of were like a little pretty bitch and now you're like a cool dude i agree a hundred percent it's really cool to really see where these characters start and none of these characters from the first movie are where they're at by the end of even the second movie there's so much that happens in terms of these characters in each one of the first three films for this group of characters so yeah i mean han it's hard you know i originally thought leia has the most progress as a character but besides chewy chewy kind of chewy doesn't make much progress like chewy you just gotta love him how he is like he wears his little like thing sash across his chest he's seven foot three that's how tall peter mayhew is seven foot three and kenny baker who plays r2d2 three foot eight oh there was a real person in that that's a real person in r2 yeah kenny baker he's and uh anthony daniels i believe is who plays c3po this is literally the only thing anthony daniels has done in his acting career and he will not let anybody else play in the suit to this day he is a 65 year old man in the if if c3po shows up in the suit like he will not allow anybody else to be in the suit ever a year later he did voice legolas in ralph bakshi's lord of the rings that is the oh, one other mistake. thing i know about anthony daniels by mistake but yeah the real people and george lucas casted kenny baker because he was the shortest guy who applied and he ca- casted peter mayhew when he stood up he's like you're chewbacca like so like two pretty brilliant casting based on very simple logic from mr lucas well, it sounds to me like mr lucas knew what he was doing but what do I, I know? Mean, I've only watched the first movie, so I haven't yeah. had an opportunity to be disappointed yet. Um, do we want to keep talking about the final little Death Star scene? I, I love this final battle. I think the mm-hmm. score for this is fantastic. And yep. just the, the small little moments just from, from Vader entering the battle and, you know, that 
he says, you know, the force is strong with this one, and Obi-Wan's little voiceover, the arrival of Han Solo into the battle, and just a little thing of, of Biggs just going, uh, yeah, my ship's damaged, I'm leaving, and just sort of <laughs> flying yeah. off. So, I, I think it's just, it's, it's just great, and it's just that that moment of all the technology and all the stuff you see in this movie, it's just everyone's telling Luke, turn off your computer, you can do this on your own. You don't need you don't need this. And everyone sort of the way it's edited with the shots of Tarkin watching on and Leia watching on the battle as well. I think the whole way this battle scene is constructed is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what do you think, Christina? I mean, I told you I lived it already. Like I've yeah. experienced this firsthand. But through- like, particularly like the decision to like turn away from technology. I think that was really. I think that's a classic hero move of trusting mm-hmm. your. I think that's what makes you the hero is that when you begin to trust yourself yeah to, and this, yeah, this is why i mentioned at the beginning there's a lot of familiarity to this movie is that this is just essentially the hero's journey we've seen you know this in you know so many different you know this is not the first movie to do it in 1977 where it was like you become the hero you find your purpose you you know develop your like and it's just like with all these kind of what seem like cliches for them to work and feel so fresh and like Honestly, and honest, I should say, like, I just think that's really a testament to George Lucas's writing and directing. He wrote and directed this movie. And uh, I think that the focus was maybe at an all time high in this first one because he did keep it from branching off and making it bigger and making it, you know, even though there's other movies people love, I think this might be the most tight of them. It's, well, it's, it goes down to the story structure because, like you said, it is the hero's journey. Well, mm-hmm. the characters are right, the settings are right, and just every stage of that journey is just perfectly played out from the start mm-hmm. of the movie to the end of the movie. And it, that's, I think that's why it's so universal. Yeah, it's why... We won't have this conversation with too many other other movies, I think, where we're like, do you think this could have been a loan or a tr-? like this is, I think, maybe the only one where it's like, really, you could watch this and have a complete story and journey or include it with the rest of the installments. That's like a pretty unique ability this movie has to be able to fit into both categories because it's like the empire strikes back that's a sequel like you couldn't have just we couldn't if we watch empire strikes back first for example like you have been like wait what is ha- who is this why are, like it would have there would have been so many questions that you still have questions here but they're questions you're supposed to have not questions you're not supposed to have i guess mm-hmm. so, really good stuff sorry back to you i'm good i think i'm i'm ready to, for, to wrap it up i think we Pretty much talked about everything we can talk about. So I'm ready for some closing thoughts and some ratings. Yeah, I definitely want to just talk about the awkward metal scene at the end. Just real <laughs> quick, like just like a huge group of people like sitting there. There's like no dialogue. And Chewie doesn't get a fucking medal. So like racism? <laughs> what what what's going on? He's standing up there. He has a head and a neck. Like just make him like make him a medal. Like, what was that about? Like that, that was shitty. I, I didn't like that. <laughs> Hashtag justice for Chewie. Yeah, yeah, give Chewie his medal. Give him his due. Like you're hating on him. He like got scared in the trash compactor. Probably never recovered from that. Like I don't. No one ever checks in on <laughs> Chewie. Yeah, no one ever like Chew- except for Han. Once in a while, will be like, "Shut up, you big furball," or something like. Chewie can't have any emotions and doesn't get a medal. So that's my least favorite part of the movie. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't you take this in with your closing thoughts and ratings? Um, My closing thought, this is endlessly rewatchable, this movie. And that's kind of a cliche. But I do think there's certain movies, the Back to the Futures of the World, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, particularly in Indiana Jones, Star Wars. There's just movies you can rewatch, keep watching, even if you know every beat that's coming. That's not what makes it great. 
I love this movie and uh, I've rediscovered like how much I loved it here. I haven't seen this movie in years, like probably maybe when Force Awakens first came out, I probably watched all the movies like kind of in a row. But like when I was watching them, it was like in a marathon and I wasn't paying attention to like, like I was today. I've never watched a Star Wars movie paying attention like I did today and it really held up. So for me, I'm going to try not to get too excited with the first movie, but I'm going to give it a four and a half out of five. Um, I think this is damn near close to perfect and you know i'm not gonna take points off for the cgi and everything like because that's yeah. not that doesn't count like but there's just like a couple acting performances that aren't quite up to the rest just there's a few there's some room you know i i know there's i'm cheating here i know there's certain movies in the in this series i'm gonna give a five star to and so this just isn't quite that but it's so close and honestly i could t- turn it on right now and watch it again like it's just like I don't think it's a movie you can really get sick of. Like all the special effects in the sound design, the production design, four and a half out of five for me. All right, Joe, we will save you for last as our guest. So as a very first time watcher uh, who really doesn't like sci-fi movies, I really, really enjoyed this. I laughed. I got like nervous. I would be like, oh no, like that person died. Or like, you need to go faster. Like they're coming after you. Like I was into it. And like very rarely now do I like watch movies without being like, all right, what's going on on my phone? And I mean, my phone was down. I was in, I was immersed in this. I was all about it. Um, I really enjoyed it. I loved the character. I love that I had questions that if this would have only just been one movie, you can live with not really knowing the answers, but I'm excited that I possibly will find out all the answers to my questions. I really, really loved what they did with Luke Skywalker. I just really enjoyed him as the hero. He just seemed like a nice kid that just wanted to do the right thing and just be a decent human being. Princess Leia was badass. Han Solo was just funny. And honestly, the droids made it for me. Like I, they cracked me up. I was into them the whole movie. I was really bummed when they weren't on screen because they were so funny when they were on screen. Um, I am also going to give this a 4.5 out of five stars, which is very high for me because I hate everything. <laughs> yeah, we never agree on ratings. This is thrilling. This is it's been a while. I won't get used to this. All right, Joe, you're up. I've got to say absolutely love this movie from the first moment i watched it and no matter what edition i've watched whether it be the special edition the blu-ray edition the disney plus edition every edition i've seen it still just makes me happy to watch it i think it's fully deserving of its cultural status i think as a standalone movie just even if you discount all the other ones i think it was fully deserving of its 10 oscar nominations the six oscars it won very true seven you know, oscars i think i think it won seven because it got a special it, like it does have a special oscar, one, but the, the six it well i mean i just i love the fact that alec Guinness was it's the only one that's had an acting nomination for Alec Guinness I think everything about it, and like I said the cultural impact this is a movie that on its own has been referenced across countless countless uh, other mediums whether it be Scrubs that mm-hmm. 70s show The Simpsons Friends everything you watch any show you watch will have a Star Wars reference somewhere in it I think it's fine I just absolutely love this movie i think the world building is fantastic but i also love the way it stands alone in its simplicity of the story but the complexity of the world behind it and i also give it four and a half stars all right i can do that math for you christina that's a four point that's a 4.5 90 percent uh for new hope uh episode four Star Wars, as it was originally known, would have been so cool if it won the Oscar. Just I don't want to divert the conversation now. But man, if this would have won Best Picture, can you imagine it? No one ever refers to it as Oscar nominated Star Wars New Hope. It was nominated for Best Picture. Benny Hall, I think, won that year. Yeah, and it's like, man, if we could really revise history now, (laughs) I could take it and switch it to Star Wars. And I like Annie Hall, but 
uh, yeah, this was a really fantastic conversation uh, just to start from both of you. Uh, I want to thank you guys for joining me with this. Like, And it's just to see the two perspectives side to side here with Christina and Joe and then like me somewhere in the middle here. Mm -hmm. Like it's just I think it's going to make for some very interesting discussions as we get into movies where there's going to be a lot more to talk about in some of the movies we have moving forward, Christina. They're not all this simple and clean and concise and well manicured as this one, I guess you could put. So don't think it's all going to be this smooth riding. I'm looking forward to it. So that brings us to today, guys, is Star Wars fans' favorite day of May 4th. So may the 4th be with all of you. But we will be releasing the special editions of Digesting Cinema better known as Digesting the Force every Friday. So you will catch us again next week on May 14th, where we will be talking about Empire Strikes Back with a very good schmodown friend of mine, Jake Berlin, from a certain point of view, will be joining us to talk about Empire Strikes Back. So I hope everyone has a wonderful day, a wonderful week. And I believe the saying should be what? May the Force be with you. Is that the appropriate way to end this? 